0: hello and welcome to overtime hockey talk. My name is Mark Paul, my co-host Justin Baker as always and we know it has been uh it's been a little bit of time since we last did our last podcast. it was about five six days ago. We apologize both of us Justin you were sick as a dog me uh, my brother had a kid and there was all sorts of crazy things going on and so we just weren't able to put in the uh, the work for, podcast this week uh, like we've been doing throughout the playoffs so we apologize thanks for sticking with us we're back this week everything's back to normal justin you're feeling 80 plus percent is that is that fair to say i think 80 is a good number 80 for that. Yeah. yeah 80 is a great number uh, i think 80 you're like you're ready to go in the playoffs right like maybe you would sit <laughs> out the regular season but it's playoffs
1: so you're you're gonna go i'm gonna go yeah you're gonna i'm, go. I'm gonna i'm gonna put in the work
0: Beautiful and uh, yeah, I just be I became an uncle this week. That was pretty sweet. Uh, Congratulations! Pretty excited about that. I mean, you know, I guess it's not as big of a deal as my brother becoming a dad for the first time. But uh, see, I think that uncles really are more important in the life of a child. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who are they going to go to to have fun? Not their Absolutely. dad. It's going to be me. All right. No, <laughs> if my brother's listening to this and uh
1: you know don't let this be a reason to not let me around your child all right (laughs) you know what's really funny uh my two nephews one of them just turned five and the other one is about a year and a half at this point um both of them whenever they get upset and mom's not around they instantly look for me and I can't figure out why like there's no reason for it but they just they want to hang out with me first before anybody else
0: I mean that's always my choice. So yeah, <laughs> I, I know the feeling. I know I know exactly how they feel. I'm 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 not doing anything tonight. Where's Justin? Where is he? <laughs> Need to find him and Skype with him and do a podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, in the last week, we have had some things happen. Obviously, the uh, Nashville Predators eliminated from the playoffs uh, by the Winnipeg Jets. An unreal game on Thursday night. Uh, so the first thing that we want to do is do what we've been doing all throughout the playoffs and that is talk about where the teams that have been eliminated are going what their offseason's going to look like and uh, you know where we see this team going long term uh, as well we're of course going to break down each series Washington Tampa Bay we we did touch on that a little bit in our last show because we knew that that series was happening uh, but now that we know and and Winnipeg has already won game 1 against Vegas uh, let's take a deeper look at that series in particular. Um, it's 7 p.m. on a Sunday night, so... Washington and Tampa Bay ready to roll here in about an hour so we're not going to hit too much on that series but we will uh, focus a little more on the Winnipeg Vegas series as as that one's got another day left and we'll uh, we'll talk to you more about Washington Tampa later Uh, as well we will also hit on Lou Lamarillo probably going to the New York Islanders is what it is what it sounds like and uh you know a host of other rumors across the league as now there are 27 teams that are looking ahead about a month to the NHL draft. Okay, let's uh let's move into our Natural Predators uh kind of a a so long farewell what are you going to do to get back to the finals next year uh, with no first round pick, no second round pick, a late third round pick, and then Columbus fourth round pick that will, uh, that rounds out the first four rounds for them. So not a whole lot going on in the draft. Uh, Justin, do you think this is a team that may look to move some pieces to, um, to move up in the draft at all? Does it matter at this point? They have a lot of young guys uh, where do you see this team going this off season and their particular focus?
1: Um, honestly, I don't, I don't see them doing too much. Uh, you know, if anything, like, like you said, they don't have a first or second round pick. Um, the one piece looking at, you know, you, you got guys like Kyle Turris coming back who weren't so hot in the playoffs. He's going to get a two and a half million dollar bump in salary. Um, you know, like you and I talked about a little earlier, they've got their top nine forwards all locked up for the next couple of years. Uh, their defense, pretty secure they're not really going anywhere so um you know with 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 get that given i think really the one big move i think they they have to make is uh by moving out a couple pieces and one of those being perhaps maybe nick Benino might ship him out try to try to recoup a second rounder or something like that to a team maybe in need of a little bit of depth at the center position um other than that, uh, one rumor I've been
0: yeah, – Yeah, but, but amazed. I mean, Nashville is also – I mean, they're about to lose Mike Fisher too. I mean, he just retired, right? So there goes their yeah. fourth-line center. I don't know if they can afford to lose Nick Benino. I mean, just think Pittsburgh spent all year trying to figure out what to do with that third line since Nick Benino left. They had to make a huge trade to get Derek Broussard to come in. And so I don't know how quickly Nashville looks to move a third-line center at this point.
1: I mean, I, I won't disagree with you there. You know, losing Mike Fisher for his second retirement uh, it is a little a little tough to swallow, especially when, you know, you look at, you know, Kyle Turris and what he didn't do in the playoffs. And you say, hey, you know, it's nice to have that second line slash third line center. And Benino who could potentially give you maybe a little bit, you're hoping anyways, could give you a little bit more offense in the playoffs next year, if needed, if Turris has another one of these slumps. Um, for me, the, the piece I look at, Uh, you know, maybe if you, if you are looking to get rid of Nick Benino is, uh, Ryan Hartman. Now, when Chicago traded him to Nashville, he was playing center and playing on the wing at the same time. So, uh, you know, obviously he played more wing in Nashville because of their depth at the center position. But for me, I think this is a good opportunity for them to maybe transition him back to a center position, uh, see what he can do there. And then that gives you, hopefully if everything works out, that gives you the option to maybe move a guy like Nick Benino to maybe you know, get that opportunity to, to recoup some of those uh, missing draft picks.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I do like that move, Ryan Hartman. He is a he's an RFA uh, coming off his ELC. But my guess is that he's he's not going to be too difficult to wrap up. Seemed like he, I mean, he had success in Nashville, uh, at, at least in terms of. I mean, in the playoffs he played pretty well. Uh, I mean, in terms of actual production, I mean, he had six points in twenty one regular season games three points in nine regular season games. Uh, so, I mean, really, he's I mean, he's not going to be super expensive to lock up. Uh, you would like to see his production up a little bit, but playing with Chicago, I mean, he had 25 points in 57 games. So, I mean, he's just kind of, I, I think he is really a, a fourth-line guy with some third-line ability, being able to play on the penalty kill and, so I, I don't necessarily think that he's gonna cost them a whole lot. Maybe he gets a deal like uh, like an Austin Watson or Yarn Crook where you know you sign the five-year, two million dollars a year deal and mm-hmm. it just locks them up for a long period of time if they really like them. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about Nashville. I mean they have they have eight guys, their eight highest paid players on this team, are all locked up until 2019-20 when after that season two of those players become free agents Austin Watson and Craig Smith so not even not even their top guys I mean they have Yarncrook and Turris and and Arvidson Forsberg Janssen, I mean Johansson just all locked up for the next 5 6 years so they're they're doing very well in turn. and that's just at the forward group um the one just absolute highway robbery is the Yossi contract, four million a year, and he still has another two years left on that deal. Uh, man, is he—he he is the ultimate bargain in the NHL.
1: Oh, absolutely. I I won't disagree with you more, but uh, you know we talk about the forwards and defense. Now, uh, one thing I've been hearing a lot of is people already calling—not necessarily people when I mean fans, but I mean I hear a lot of media outlets and you know the rumors floating around like they do when teams typically get eliminated. Uh, you know people are already saying, hey, let's let's trade Pekka Rene now why he has that, that Vesna like regular season caliber um you know ability why he has some value at age thirty five here. Uh, he's got seven mil left for one more year. And you know maybe it's time to to call up UC Saros and say, hey, this is your team now. Take it over.
0: He does have a modified no trade clause and a no move clause on his deal. Okay. Um, which according to CAP friendly Uh, The details of it is unknown, but my guess is that that trade clause is probably something where he gets to name a certain amount of teams that he'd be willing to go to. Right. Yeah. I just, I don't see Nashville moving Pecorine because I don't think that they, I mean, look at the teams around the league that are looking for a still like, Oh, we can get by with, Brian Elliott, we can get by with Mike Smith. We can get by with, you know, it's these these guys that are in an ever-rolling carousel between a group of four to five teams, and it, it just doesn't work. The Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup in 2010 with Antti niemi and everyone went, see, we don't need an expensive, really great goalie to win the cup. As long as someone's just mediocre, if we put a good team around them, it'll be fine. And you know what? The teams that have won the Stanley Cup since then: Tim Thomas, 2011, and he set like every record for <laughs> his save percentage and goals against average. So that definitely didn't go there. And Roberto Luongo on the other side for the Canucks was was unreal too uh, that year, 2012. The LA Kings, Jonathan Quick, completely dominates and has one of the craziest playoffs for any goaltender ever. 2013 the Blackhawks really underrated Corey Crawford Um, and maybe Corey Crawford played into that narrative that you didn't need an expensive goalie Uh, but really I think what we saw this year is that all along Corey Crawford has been much better and much more important to the Blackhawks than the Blackhawks maybe ever knew or or they did but uh, you know it just this wasn't as apparent because of the team in front of them, But, I mean, even then, a good goal is winning. Again, 2014, Jonathan Quick wins it again. And 2015, you've got Chicago winning it again. So, <laughs> and then, of course, 16-17, you've got Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray both really carrying the, the Pittsburgh Penguins to the Stanley Cup. So it really – that one year I think has still continued – to have an effect on some teams, to go, you know, we can get by with mediocre goaltending and it'll be fine.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even now you look at the four teams left in the playoffs. You got Mark Andre Fleury, uh, Vasilevsky, Connor Hollabuck, and um, and Holtby left in there, and those are still four very, very good goaltenders.
0: So Holtby won the Vesna last year? No, two years ago, right? Yep, yep. Uh, Holtby won the Vesna two years ago. Vasilevsky will probably win the Vesna this year. And Rene was just eliminated. He might... Oh, actually, he'll probably win the Vesna. But, yep. I mean, Vasilevsky and Hellebeck both up for the Vesna this year. And Marc-Andre Fleury, if he wasn't injured, he'd probably be up for the Vesna. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or he'd at least very much be in the conversation. So we... I mean, at this point, over the last three seasons, we're seeing definitely, like, top of... You know, four of the top eight goaltenders in the National Hockey League go head to head. Yeah, I, which is
1: fantastic. I, we,
0: we, I mean, you need a good goalie uh, now more than ever, and of course, a very good team or a very lucky team can sneak past with mediocre goaltending. But by and large, it's a it's a blip on the radar when you do. I don't see Nashville trading Pekarek.
1: Yeah, I mean, you definitely you definitely make a good argument for it, and I think. You know, like you said, with his modified no trade clause, uh, you know, the only teams that maybe are willing to make a move for a guy that's going to cost him one $7 million and probably some decent assets coming back in return, you know, are teams that are mostly at the bottom of the league. And a guy like Pecorine is not going to put them on his, oh, yeah, I'm willing to go there kind of clause, uh, you know, right. especially because most of those teams will take a few years to really be contenders anyways.
0: To, to me, there's no reason why you don't. I mean, Pecorine still had a Vezina Trophy a winning season. I mean, you can't ignore. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to get rid of the Vesna trophy winner. I really don't like he his value is still. Guys don't look at a trophy and go, "Oh my gosh, he won the Vesna, we need to trade for him." Like people Christ. know he's he's 35 plus and he's definitely like this season is probably not happening again for
1: him. Yeah, it would be it would be very difficult to repeat it for sure, and I think uh Depending on what kind of deal, you know, the Predators lay out for UC Saros, and it wouldn't surprise me if they lock him up for, you know, five six years at, you know, three million dollars here. Um, but to me, it's it's one of these situations where I think you're going to see a little bit more fifty fifty split in terms of uh, games played. So, you know, like you said, I don't I don't I agree with you. I don't think he's going to have another Vesna type season next season.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I think that you go okay. If if you really think Gusey Soros is this good, is that you know? I mean, he had a nine 2 six percentage in twenty six games this season. Uh, he he played well for the Predators. If you think that he's going to be your starting goalie of the future, that's fine. But I still don't think that you get rid of Rene. I think that you go look. We're going to start to give more games to Soros. I mean, twenty twenty six is still a good number. I mean, sure. it means that you know Rene played what about fifty. Fifty six games, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the year, and so I mean he's it. Yeah, I mean that, that fifty nine is how many he played in. So I think that when you look at that, you go okay. He played fifty nine games in thirteen playoff games, though he had a three zero seven goals against average and a save percent. I mean he dropped a, a, a massive percentage points in terms of uh, like two point three percent of more goals are going in. And that just – it's just strange. And so you maybe look at that and you go, does he really need to be playing 59 games? And maybe we can get him down to, the like, the high 40s even. And and then he's real fresh for the playoffs. It also gives Saros. It gives us a legitimate look at him. And it lets us create not necessarily a, a massive competition for the net. Like, we know, all right, we're going into the playoffs most likely still going with Renee. Rene. If Soros beats him out, cool, but we have no problem going in with Rene because we know come playoff time this year, I wouldn't even say that he played bad in the playoffs. I think he got unlucky at times, and at other times they were playing the Jets, and the Jets looked pretty stinking good. So yeah, I, I don't think that I put this all on Rene. I really it's, – it's interesting because we talked at the beginning of that Jets – Predator series that it was the best forward group going up against the best defensive group and the best forward group was able to really make the best defensive group look like uh, the Calgary flames (laughs) (laughs) where they were supposed to be the best, but they didn't look like the best. Uh, PK Subban had a pretty good series, uh, but I, I think that by and large, it just wasn't the same uh, I, I know. I mean, Nashville won three games. I mean, it was still, it was still a very tight series. But uh, I, I really never felt like Nashville was going to win this series. I don't know why. I just, it just didn't seem like they were actually going to win. They kept coming back uh, down in games, and and but they could never get up in the series. But yeah, I, I think that it wasn't so much Renee's fault as it was maybe just a, a really a truly a full team effort. They just couldn't deal with the depth of Winnipeg's forward group, and that's, that's just fine. They're designed so well. I don't think that you just give up. I don't think that you throw in the towel with this group. I think you just bring it back, you come back with Renee. you play him a little less in the regular season, you get Saros into it, and then you can figure out what you have. You can figure out, you know, from this point on, you're probably signing Rene to a one-year deal, and you're not signing him to a $7 million a year. You're signing him to two or three. So right. Uh, now of course somebody else could say, oh, we'll give you seven and come and make our team from just a playoff team to potential Stanley Cup contender with a very good goalie, but you know, I, I just I don't see them trading Renee. He's been there his whole career. Nashville has been quite the loyal team to players that want to stay there and play. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. Okay, well let's uh Oh well, what one one other thing that I wanted to do with the Predators? Um, is there any free agents out there that now this this team doesn't have a lot of wiggle room? Uh, they, I mean, they, they have like seven eight million in cap space right now, uh, mm-hmm. going into next season with the RFAs and UFAs. I like Scott Hardinall and Fisher are UFAs along with Anders Lindback, so. With uh with that in mind, is there any free agents that you see out there that eh, it makes sense for maybe Nashville to go after them?
1: Yeah, I um honestly, I, I first guy that popped in my head when I was looking at the free agent list here on cap friendly and I came across um I really liked uh Valtir I think he would be a really good fit, and I only say that because <clears throat> I think his ability to to play so well at center and on the wing and he still has enough speed in his game, I think they can get him at such a cheap price, probably two, two and a half million dollars for one or two years. I think he still has enough offensive upside to him or abilities that I think he would fit fit him pretty good.
0: How about James Neal? Does James Neal come back to the Predators?
1: Oh. That is that is a tasty proposition.
0: He's only thirty. Uh, he's only thirty years old. And he's he's a goal scorer and it's what they were missing in that series. Uh, yeah.
1: I think the one big problem why I don't see a guy like James Neal or even a JVR come in there is mostly going to be cost. I think guys like that, that are still considered maybe your power forwards that can put up goals. They just, they're going to cost North of probably, you know, $6 million. Yes, and I don't I, think in terms of cap space, Nashville really has that to burn.
0: Yeah. But with James, Neal, I mean, James Neal was made five, 5 million a season. He just mm-hmm. had 44 points in 70 games with the Vegas Golden Knights. He had 25 goals. So to yeah. me, he's about where he's at, $5 million. I think that that's a right, a good number for him. Um, of course, everyone's looking for a raise, and he could probably get it. But in order to go to Nashville and to play for a contender, generally you need to take a little bit of a cut. And obviously going back to Nashville, would he'd have to do that. Sure, uh, I I think that would be it. Would, it'll be interesting to see if Vegas brings him back. I I don't honestly I don't see why Vegas wouldn't extend him a pretty decent offer because he's kind of become uh, quite the fan favorite right from the start. But I mean, this team has also shown that they don't really care who they plug in to their lineup. It can be a guy who's a, a big name player, you know, at least in terms of the players that they received at the expansion draft. He was their biggest. Outside of Mark Andre Fleury, and uh-huh. but yet they, I mean, they turned William Carlson into a forty goal scorer. They and, and it didn't stop in the playoffs either, it, it hasn't stopped in the playoffs. Uh, so I, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with a guy like that. I don't know how badly they feel like they need to keep a guy like James Neal or uh, David Perron.
1: Yeah, and I think I think part of the reason too they traded for thomas tatar this this past deadline i think is because they anticipate probably losing one if not both of those guys and having that security of having tatar around for a little while longer uh with the ability he's shown to be able to put up you know 40 50 points uh kind of adds a little added security if they decide they don't want to go that route but um you know here's the name for you i'm kind of curious to get your thoughts because you know again we we talk about a guy that could use maybe a little bit long-term security and has been willing and has shown the last couple of seasons to take a pay cut. Uh, maybe a Thomas Vanek to Nashville.
0: You know, Thomas Vanek. Uh, in terms of going to Nashville, do I see that being a fit? I don't think they would. I don't think that they would want him because he's not fast. Yeah, well, I, that I, is true. <laughs> it's. Yeah, he's going to need to play for a team that has decided that either they have so much speed that they can afford Thomas Vanek to basically just play on the power play. Yeah, or they're going to need to be a team where they're kind of trying to buck the trend and go, well, we're not going to play this complete balls out speed game. We're going to, you know, kind of continue in the old way of thinking. Mm -hmm. I just, I just really. Ah, uh, yeah, Tom. I mean, I like the idea of Vanek maybe going there at the deadline. I, I think you're going to see Vanek sign another one-year deal, which is just crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I feel you almost feel bad for him because yeah, I do. I I think that he has a reputation around the league as being a soft, and and he he can't really he's not defensively minded, and so he's not getting he's not getting any term because nobody wants to commit to him. Beyond that season, because they think that everything could just go up in smoke, uh, because the last time he signed a, a long-term deal, of course, he went up in smoke. Uh, now he's 34 years old, but he did have 56 points, 24 goals, 32 assists, and he's only making $2 million a season. What a bargain. Yeah. I mean, to pay him three and a half is not not a huge stretch. Uh, especially for a team that that needs some extra scoring, you know. The more I think about it, the more that I, you're right. He would be a good fit because he doesn't need to be the fastest player on the ice because Nashville has a ton of team speed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you can plug him in on your third, fourth line and roll him out there like you said on the power play. I think he would. He would. You know, probably fit him pretty good with Kyle Turris or, you know, maybe even Kevin Fiala or somebody like that. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just give my my vote for Tyler Bozak being a good fit there.
1: Okay. Yeah, we'll All just right.
0: kind of leave it we'll we'll leave it at that. But uh, See, now
1: there you go. If you put Bozak in there, that opens up the opportunity to, to ship Nick Benino out, like I right. said earlier. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Uh okay, well let's uh let's move on to our series of the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, first game, the Winnipeg Jets win four to two. Uh, really it wasn't that close of a game either. I mean, it was 3 nothing. it was 4-1, to one, and then uh, Vegas, you know, you get your, you get your late goal, and, and that's fine. They, they tried to make a little bit of a push, uh, but ultimately fell, fell short. So what, what looks like a 4-2 to two game, a relatively close game, to me wasn't all that close. It, there was a very few points in that game where you're thinking, yeah, totally Vegas can come back.
1: Uh yeah, I would not disagree with you at all. That game just started off with the Jets imposing their will on the Golden Knights and the Golden Knights for the first time in a while just looked completely out of their element like they they didn't know how to push back to to get their game going again. I think it took a little while. Uh they finally finally got a little bit of momentum going there middle halfway through the game, but ultimately the Jets' size and speed just caught up with the Knights and they weren't able to sort of counteract that. And, and it's funny. I, I watched a, a few times throughout the game where you could see the Knights early on trying to trying to play that physical game that, that Winnipeg so good at. And I, I just, I keep thinking, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. You know, like you, you you want to show that you're not going to be pushed around, but if, if this game or if this series has to go six or seven games, the golden Knights are going to be beat up because but let's face it, there's nobody on that Golden Knights team where I look at, you know, and can say, outside of maybe Ryan Reeves, who can compete physically a whole entire seven-game series because they have so many, they have five guys over six-foot-five on that team. It's crazy. Yeah, that is, that's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my immediate thought
0: was, and, and to be fair to all the other times I've said this, I ne- I have to say it again, I throw out game ones. I, I really – and it's, it's really worked all throughout these playoffs. Game ones have been very strange, especially this year. I mean, I, I look at the Boston-Toronto series. Now, I, I Boston won game one, and they ended up winning in the series. That's fine. But they blew the Leafs out, and that was not necessarily indicative of what happened the rest of the way. Right. Um, you, you see where Boston blew Tampa Bay out 6-2 in game one, and then Tampa Bay went and won the next four. Uh so the first game isn't necessarily indicative of what we're going to see the rest of the way. Uh now I think that some of this comes from the you know you can you can have the one side where yes the Jets just came from a uh, an insane seven game series against probably the other best team in the Western Conference mm-hmm. and wins in seven games so you think that they would be tired but man is this team focused and they are they are playing at a level, especially coming off of Game 7, where, I mean, they're just in the zone. Whereas Vegas has kind of been able to cruise here. I mean, I, I didn't think that L.A. gave them a whole lot of problems. And and really, San Jose looked pretty, eh, against them too. And, so, and they've also been sitting here waiting for somebody to play. I mean, it's been a week since they last played. So I think that that maybe plays more into it. So I think you're seeing a well-rested but maybe a little bit rusty Golden Knights team against a Jets team that's just firing on all cylinders. I think in Game 2 you're going to see a lot closer of a game. Uh, I I won't say I know who's going to win, but I I will say that the Golden Knights are going to come more physically and mentally ready for that game. Uh, I I don't think you see 3-0 within 8 minutes again. (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I think that still I, I think that this series is gonna actually be a surprisingly very good one. Uh, i have I have the jets in six, but I think it'll be it'll be entertaining. Uh, I just think again the jets just have too much firepower up front, uh, especially with this golden Knights team with really not much to speak of in terms of high end defensemen to stop these guys right And you've already mentioned the physicality which they've been able to do and play well with. I mean, like L.A. tried to get physical with Vegas, and Vegas just rose to the challenge. Winnipeg is just a
1: bunch of big old lumberjacks out there. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you know, after watching the National Jet series and really dissecting it a little bit more when it was all said and done – the two guys that really were missing from the last few games, which is why I think Nashville was able to crawl back in and make it seven was Patrick lining and Dustin Bufflin. We really didn't hear a lot of them uh, out of those two, of the last couple of games. And uh, yeah, was the first two on, guys first, to score. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. First two guys to score. And I think when, you know, especially when Dustin, I think Dustin Bufflin is the guy, this series, that's really going to, you know, s- drive the bus for that team. And if he's engaged, if he's producing, that team is just going to fly.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I he plays such a unique brand of hockey. Uh, he's so big. He's fast. He can shoot. Uh, I think when he's on, you watch him sometimes, and it's like he's disengaged uh, throughout the regular season. Some sometimes he's not. He's actually not that good in the regular season. Sometimes, um, in terms of uh, he makes some some small like little mistakes that he shouldn't uh maybe tries to play the you know the i'm gonna run you through the boards kind of game and it it puts him out of position but in Mm -hmm. these playoffs he's been very focused has used his body at the right times and has really tried to use his shot to his advantage and and it's worked well i mean five five goals in uh in these playoffs so far in in what 15 16 games something like that Oh, pretty, pretty uh, yeah. good for a defenseman.
1: What, yeah, what's even crazier to, to think about is, you know, we, we talk about Patrick Line, who came up second in the Rocket Richard Trophy. Um, he's only got four goals through the playoffs so far, and you look a little further down the lineup, or I shouldn't say further down the lineup, but you look at a guy like Mark Shifley, who already has 12 goals. 12
0: and, goals, I know, yeah, 12. And, yeah. and my bad, they, they have played... Uh, they, they've now played 13 games in the playoffs, so that's that's okay, my 13. so
1: yeah so 12 yeah. goals in 13 games that's unreal. Yeah, and the most uh, post 2000 uh, that we've seen out of a player was 15 from Sidney Crosby when they won their first Cup in 09. Uh huh. Yes. So you know he's got to easily easily if he keeps going this way he'll he'll eclipse that mark and then maybe even you know if they go to the Stanley Cup Finals and have a, a lengthy series there. You know, he's got a chance of touching that 19 record that, you know, was set, I don't know how many years ago.
0: but Is that the record so, 19 goals in the playoffs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah, because I know what, Gretzky had like 52 points or something like that. Uh, yeah. Let me pull that up. Uh, yeah, Yari Curry and Reggie Leach both have 19, and that's the record.
0: Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gretzky had 47 points in 18 games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so crazy. that's crazy. Uh, he had 17 <laughs> goals in 18 games. So, insane. That's, uh, yeah, that's madness. Curry had 19 goals in 18 games. So, that's even more madness. Reggie Leach, Leach actually, I think in my mind, has the record with 19 goals in 16 games. Somehow, like, he only had five assists. <laughs> You don't see that. That's like Rick Nash. You know the year that Rick Nash won the uh, won the Maurice Rocket Richard the mm-hmm. most goals in the league. I want to say yes. He had he only had so he he had forty one goals. It's like the lowest amount of goals for a Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy winner, and he tied with uh, Ilya Kovalchuk and Jerome Ginla. Yes, that's right. But. He only had 16 assists. That's, that's crazy. That's very strange. I mean, to have 41 goals and 16 assists is yeah, n- very... Nobody scored. <laughs> yeah, it means... I mean, it, what it means is that everyone on his team blew to high heaven. Like, right. <laughs> they were just not good. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, it's uh, a little blast from, the, from 2003, 2004 there for you. Um, in, what, what do you think that the Golden Knights need to do in order to win this series? Let's, let's pretend that they're going to win this series. What did they do
1: to win? Boy, you know, I think they just need to continue using their speed and playing their game of trying to roll four lines. Um, I think if you look up and down both teams lineups, yes, you know, the, the top nine, for Winnipeg, looks much scarier than the top nine for Vegas. But if you get into that fourth line, as Vegas has been known to roll out a lot, that fourth line could be a potential you know, edge that they could use if they you know, drag the series out and make the lengthy, if they can keep rolling four lines and keep their guys just a little bit fresher, maybe Winnipeg, and continue to use their speed and not maybe try to play into the hand of the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to that physicality that they're going to try to use. Maybe to them that might be something they could look for for an edge in order to to get a, a victory or two.
0: Yeah, I th- I think the way they win this series is by Mark Andre Fleury playing out of his mind, and that yeah, well, to me, yeah, that's the only way they win this series. And 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 then offensively, they have to have an absurd amount of power plays. I mean, the power play was at least where – they their power play look, still looked good against the Jets. Uh, yep. I believe they scored – their second goal was on the power play. And, uh, yeah, it was – that's really been the only thing going for them. Uh, and so, yeah, I think they, they need to draw penalties. They need to try and suck Winnipeg into some sort of retaliatory game. And I, I just don't – I don't see Winnipeg doing that, but I think that that – is definitely a way to to beat them. The other way to beat them, I, I guess, is if you think you're faster than them. Uh, and there definitely are some some lines that could be exposed on the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, but I, I, I mean, as far as their top six, you're at least going to match. I mean, you're not faster than Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Kyle O'Connor, and then you've got Stastny, Line and Ehlers. You're not going to beat them speed-wise. And then that little Perot and Armia line has just – anybody that they put out there against them, that line shuts down the the opposition. Right. I mean, you're right. That fourth line of, of Tanev, Lowry, and and Cop. I mean, that's the only real way to expose a little bit of lack of speed – on that line. But I mean, it's just, it's just going to be real tough. Uh, the other way is, I mean, figure out a way to, to get that Meyer sherry, defensive pairing into bad positions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think Mark Andre Fleury is going to have to stand on his head for sure. And it, it was cracking me up listening to the game last night. You hear the fans saying, we want Suban. <laughs> I mean, I gotta, I gotta Perfect. kick out of that one. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> But you, you also, you know, it's funny. We look at look at these lines, and you know how Vegas loves to roll four here. And I look at their fourth line, Ryan Reeves. He is only in there because clearly it's Vegas is trying to match the physicality of a guy like Bufflin by putting in a guy like Ryan Reeves. Uh, you saw it last night. They almost got into it a couple times. And uh, you know if Reeves stays in this, stays in the lineup here for too much longer, it's not going to surprise me to see. You know, those two go at it at some point. But for me, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, a guy like Thomas Tatar, who has shown he has the capability of putting up some points. And maybe at some point you take out a guy like Ryan Carpenter or Reeves on that fourth line and, and insert Tatar and maybe get a little offensive boost out of him when you're trying to match up against that Lowry line.
0: What were they doing giving up a first, second and a third for a guy that they were just going to scratch in the
1: playoffs? I have, you know, and the only thing I've heard that makes any sense at all is Vegas is just so confident with how they've been playing that they don't want to upset the chemistry.
0: That's it. Then why would, why trade for him in the first place? If that's truly how you felt, then you shouldn't have traded for him. And and I understand wanting some depth, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit strange. I I actually think that it's one of Ken Holland's best trades he's made in the last 10 years. (laughs) I, I really, I think that it was a, a fleecing. Uh, on that team, even if you know that uh, that first round pick is going to be a pretty late first round pick, yeah, uh, and so no, no huge foul there. Uh, my my thought is is Vegas really going to be better than that next year? Probably not. So that second round pick next year is a, is a little bit higher in the second round. Maybe not. You know, maybe they still make the playoffs, but uh, I I just giving up all that for a guy that you're not even going to play. There's there's other guys you could have acquired that could have been more useful. And so I I just think what a waste of a draft pick and it just he should be playing somewhere. There there should be a spot for Tatar somewhere in that lineup unless he's hurt. Uh, but right. It, it just seems like your team's looking for scoring and he should be able to help.
1: Yeah, and the whole argument when they when they made that move was, you know, you keep hearing about oh you know the possibility of losing David Perron or James Neal next year to free agency so we we trade for a guy who has you know a contract with a couple of years on it so that you you secure a guy who can fill in in that role and possibly give you the same kind of production but again like you said when you when you talk about now with the playoffs you know why isn't he in or you know and maybe it is he's hurt but again if you're if you're looking for depth for now you know, you could easily have gone out and traded for somebody else who's, you know, could have been a, a, a decent fourth line winger or center. And then maybe this offseason, if you do lose James Neal and Biron and you want to go make a move, then maybe that's the time that you can try to, you know, go and trade for a guy like Tatar in the offseason when it's not that big of a deal anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, could have used those picks a little more wisely, especially when you go, all right, what did what did the Sharks have to give up for Evander Kane? Right, I, I would say that they gave up a relatively equal package for Tatar and and Kane. And I, I know I know Kane was a UFA, so that obviously that plays into it. Tatar is, is there for uh, another two? Does he have another two years left on his contract? Yeah. Uh, so I I get that, but uh, yeah, just it's too much to give up for him, and and I think. You need to say, we gotta put this guy in. Especially if they go and lose game two. Yeah, uh, and it's for a lack of goaling. 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 Wow. <laughs> I've been up since 5 30 AM. So I'm gonna go ahead and blame that on that. Uh right. I don't believe I've ever said the word goaling before. Ever. Wow. Like until now, I've I've now said it three times, and those are the first three times that word's ever come out of my mouth. So, I guess that's the new word, you know. We got to get some Beautiful. goaling. We got to get some real goaling out of <laughs> uh, out of Thomas Tatar. Otherwise, this team is going to be skunked. Uh I I do think Vegas will make it a fight. I don't think that it's just going to be a you know, a four or five game series. I think you'll see a, a couple games won by Vegas. Uh ultimately, I do think that Winnipeg will pull it out. I don't I don't what it, what do you ultimately think will happen in the series?
1: Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I think the size, the speed and the scoring ability of they or Winnipeg's, you know, top players is just going to be too much. And, you know, I, I think you're going to see a, a better effort out of flurry. You're moving forward, but ultimately I think, you know, win or Vegas hasn't really had to play a team this tough with this much scoring depth. And I just think it's, it's going to be too much, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, having to go a lengthy series. And I think you're going to see the jets probably take this in six.
0: All right. Um, Let's now take uh, just a couple minutes and we'll just update on some other news around the league. Obviously, we have a lot of chatter going on with Lou Lamarillo going to the New York Islanders. uh, Supposedly doesn't have much interest in being a, uh, you know, just an outsider uh, kind of giving some info to to Leafs management. He doesn't want to uh, to have to do that. I think he still wants to manage, and I think that Garth Snow has proven that he shouldn't be the general manager of the Islanders, and so could Lou Lamarillo, do you think that he's going to go to the New York Islanders? If so, what does that do in terms of bringing back Tavares? There's, there's talk about JVR going to Long Island if Lou goes there following his his uh, his GM over there. And then there's also some chatter about Corey Crawford from the Blackhawks going to the Islanders as well. Corey Crawford going to the Islanders, huh? Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, it would be. That would – it would make a lot of sense. To me, it would say, okay, Chicago is kind of giving up on this current iteration of the Blackhawks and they're going to really need a year or two to switch this whole thing around. Uh, I don't see them doing that, but Lamarillo comes in. Now, remember, Lamarillo came to the Leafs, and very quickly Frederick Anderson was traded for So, So right. you know he'd be looking to make a similar deal. He obviously is a guy who throughout his career has relied on some pretty good goaltenders.
1: <laughs> yeah, Marty Brodeur is not a big right. one Half Right, uh, Marty
0: Brodeur, and he was, he was also the one that traded for uh, Corey Schneider. Yeah. So I I, I think you're gonna see him trade for another goalie. I mean he's traded for Schneider, he's traded for Anderson. So I mean, is is a guy like Crawford next. Is it uh, you know I'm trying to think of another team with a with a couple a couple goalies on there that, you know, wanna like Philip Grubauer be able to, maybe? Yeah, yeah, actually that's that's a great thought. Uh I, I think that Washington is gonna hang on to Grubauer because I think they'd rather get rid of Holpe. Even though Holtby's Ooh. playing well right now, I, I when you look at, at Grubauer's underlying stats, it's just he's just been better over the course of a full regular season. I think this is Holtby's last shot at anything with the Caps. Uh, I think ultimately Grubauer takes the net next season. And so I think that their best bet is to look to trade Holtby, especially, hey, going on this playoff run, you're going to get someone who goes, this guy can win in the playoffs, and that's really what we're looking for. So let's go out and get them. But that's yeah.
1: Wow. Hey, I mean, at six point one million, Braden Holtby is considered a bargain. Right. If you really think about it, uh, especially when you got Carey Price, who, in my opinion, is not that much better than Braden Holtby, and he's going to be making ten next year. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Lou to the Islanders would be very interesting. And I, I agree with you. I think goaltending is going to be their first, their, well, not their first, their second priority, obviously. The first big thing on Lou Lemoreto's, Lemorello's checklist is going to be trying to get Tavares locked in uh, long term. But if if I'm John Tavares and I see Lou's coming to town, I, I'm with you. We we talked about this earlier, and you, you know you made a good point. If you're John Tavares, you're you're running for the hills at this point.
0: Yeah, I just don't think that I don't know. Does it does it make sense to go? Yeah, you know what? I'm willing to lock my career up here with one of the older general managers in the league, a mm-hmm. guy who really hasn't shown a propensity for a whole lot of change in the way that he manages his team. I mean, the Leafs weren't even able to grow beards. Like, <laughs> this is not 1983 anymore. You you don't get to go home with players and tell them what pajamas to wear at night. I mean, th- this is just, I, right. I think that, the desire for expression and like i would say that you know you look at uh you look at just even like the sydney crosby generation there there's been a little bit more of a like hey i'm yes i am a member of the team but i'm also a marketable player i mean look at pk suban is like the, the ultimate marketer of his stuff and i think that players are starting to go dude like basketball players they're they're still a, a team guy, but they have their own stuff. They're their own brand too. And so I think that as this next generation of players comes in who are all about social media and are able to have their own platforms of video and and photos and, and just content, I think that you're going to see guys who an old school way of uh, you don't. You don't talk to people and when we tell you not to, you don't, you don't do this. You, you don't get to grow beards. You don't get to express yourself personally. You are a part of the collective. I, I just don't think that the, the communist view to sports is the way to go
1: anymore. I really don't. <laughs> wow. You've had a, you've had a good relationship with Lou here these last few years. I can tell.
0: <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't hate what he did with, in Toronto, Oh, uh, I just, I, I think that his methods, at least in terms of, of those, those types of things are, are just outdated and, and ridiculous. I'm, I, I guess the, the other thing that we could talk about is Kyle Dubas being named GM of the Leafs, uh, 32 year old Kyle Dubas, who uh, was responsible for that Phil Kessel trade. And, uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's been instrumental in, in some other moves for the Leafs over, uh, his time, he was actually hired before Lou Lamarillo when he was 26. Yeah, crazy. So I, th- I think he's going to be a fantastic GM. He's, he's got to study under a guy who is, I mean, I'm not knocking Lou's ability to, to manage people or to uh, to spot talent or to run an organization. But I think that you need to take you can take principles from somebody and go, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to do this, but I'm definitely going to leave that off the table. I'm not going to include that because that's that's not how I want to do things.
1: Right. Like the one thing I always heard about Lewis, he doesn't like guys using large numbers on their uh, on their jerseys. So like a guy like Tavares, who wears 91. Uh, no, thanks.
0: <laughs> that's uh, absolutely absurd. Absolutely, yes. But uh, he did let yeah. Alexander McGillney keep his eighty-nine,
1: though, eh? That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Lou, I guess he know, wouldn't like Sergachev. Oh boy.
0: <laughs> Who's number ninety-eight? If you didn't know that, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Lou going to the Islanders means the end. And I mean, I've been saying that since the beginning of the year. But Tavares, to me, just doesn't stick around. To New, in New York, or I mean, maybe I shouldn't say New York because he could stick around in New York, but I don't think he sticks with the Islanders. Um, yeah, and so, you know, once that officially happens, I think the first thing Lou does is, like you said, goes out and makes a big, big play for a goaltender here. So we'll see what happens.
0: Top three places right now and give a percentage that you okay. think where you think Tavares will land.
1: Oh, Um I think the Rangers right now you could probably put at thirty three percent.
0: Oh, you're gonna just go 33, 33, 33?
1: I don't. No, think so. you're you're just you're really reading into this way too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, man, what's I've been I haven't really thought about this too much to be quite honest. I think the Rangers probably one team. I think Vegas has maybe got. You could throw in a ten percent chance. To land him, okay. I don't know if maybe I put them in my top three, but uh, they could easily gobble up uh, that other seventeen percent there. And then, uh, boy, where would be a third spot he could land that makes sense? I know everybody keeps throwing Montreal's name out there. That to me would would make sense. They have the cap space, and they could really use a number one center. But I don't think he wants to go there. Ah. yeah, I, you know what? I don't I don't really know. I I would love I would love to think about this a little bit more and maybe okay. get back to you. But what okay. what do you got for me though? Uh, I
0: will uh I'm going to say there is a about a 30% chance that he goes to Toronto. I think okay. there's a 30% chance he stays with the New York Islanders. Uh I'd say there's about a 25% chance that he goes and signs with uh man. I I could see like I could see Dallas. Ooh, I I, I really could. I mean, he, I think he'd fit great in that lineup. Uh, I don't know, maybe not twenty five percent for Dallas, but a ten percent chance for Dallas, and then sure, uh, you know what? Whatever's left over, I'm just gonna we'll toss around the uh, the probably the Rangers. Uh, there's 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 a lot of places that I think that he could ultimately end up. I, I know San Jose's been on the table even. So I, I think they'll probably Islanders, Leafs, Rangers are probably your three best bets. In, okay. In my mind. Wow. But San Jose. I think we did talk about it when we when San Jose was eliminated. San Jose would be a great location for John Tavares to end up.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And I think with, you know, Thornton coming off the books, obviously they couldn't re sign him, but well they uh, they could resign him for, you know, for a couple million. Two million. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would actually. I more likely see Joe Thornton going to Toronto than I would Tavares going to San Jose. But I think that would probably what would happen if Tavares ended up in San Jose. Yeah, fair.
0: All right, is there anything you want to uh, you want to toss out there before we take off and
1: uh, and you know let the people re- rejoin the, their lives yeah i just want to say if you haven't been watching it uh, i know the times are a little bit weird because it is in denmark uh get a get a chance to watch some of the worlds uh there's been some exciting hockey going on over there yeah uh, u.s is doing fantastic canada i don't know how they lost to was it germany uh, yeah
0: you know germany has uh been rolling
1: lately <laughs> yeah I don't, in international I mean, play yeah it's uh it's i i chalk that loss up to goaltending honestly but uh Yeah. Yeah, USA has been looking real good and, uh, they got, they got to play Finland who's another really good looking team right now on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, if you get a chance, watch that game for sure. All right. Well, this has been overtime hockey talk. Uh, you can follow us on
0: Twitter at OT hockey talk and, uh, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast now, or, you know, go on to Google play iTunes. We're on, we're on all those things. Uh, We will talk to you tomorrow as we break down more of the games, more rumors,
1: and more hockey news. We'll talk to you then.